like I said, we're starting a new series, Reckless Love. And this past week, as I was kind of preparing for this, I looked up the word reckless, and, and I was trying to figure out, okay, what is, what is the songwriter actually trying to say? Well, there's, there were two definitions of the word reckless, and the first one is careless. And we have a tendency to think that that's how God's love is towards us, that it's kind of careless, that he's kind of paying attention to us in one moment, and in the next moment, he seems to get distracted, and suddenly we're kind of in a bad place because he got distracted. Now, as parents, we get that. With our kids, we sometimes are paying close attention, we're watching them, and in a moment, we get a little distracted by something, and before you know it, they've done something that they shouldn't do, and just simply because we were honestly a little bit careless, and we, we, we operate that way from time to time, so we have a tendency to transfer that and say, that's how God is. That his reckless love is a careless love, but that's not what it means. What, there's another definition, and, and, and it means that it's not going to be concerned about the consequences of. So, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're reckless, you're, you're not concerned about the consequences. And here's what I think that means for us with God. God is not concerned about loving you if you love him. He's not going to base his love for you based upon if you decide to love him. See, the Bible says it's his desire that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. So you've got to understand that God loves everyone. God loves the best of us in this room, and he loves the worst of us in this room. He's never going to base his love for us based upon our performance. He's never going to base his love for us based upon how well we do all the right things. And if we can do all of the right things, that, that creates the level that God's going to love us in. And the, and the more right things we're doing, the higher the level is and the less the level is. God, God's not going to base his reckless love upon what we are going to do. It's the most amazing, extraordinary thing in the world for us to understand. That his love is unconditional. That his favor towards us, his grace towards us is the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And it's hard sometimes for us to wrap our minds around that's the way that God is. But what God wants us to do is understand his love so that we can walk in the confidence of that love and walk in everything that God has already acquired for us. At the cross, when Jesus said it was finished, he meant it was finished. It's a finished work. And so what God wants us to do is have confidence to walk in everything that God has for us. So we need to understand what the love of God really is all about. And we need to understand that it's about being, not doing. We just finished a series on real relationships, and we were talking about some very practical ways of, of learning how to love people and learning how to show love towards people. And, you know, one of the things that I always have to kind of learn is it, it's good for me not to be frustrated or angry towards my wife. All right, and, and I can understand that from a practical point of view. Okay, Richie, just chill out sometimes. You don't always have to get the piece of furniture that you want. Now, I shared that in a message last week, and a lot of people in my connect group, when they showed up on Wednesday night, came in and said, I want to see that piece of furniture that you couldn't stand. I said, well, I didn't say I couldn't stand it. I just said it wasn't my favorite. And so, but we talked about real practical things of, of, of how to walk out things, and, and they're really kind of fruit issues. They're, they're things that we can see, and most of the time in church, we're really focused on that, fruit issues, our behavior. We think that God is into behavior modification, and he's actually not. He's actually into life transformation. 
And so while it's easy for us to understand, okay, don't yell at people in my life, right? We can, we can kind of wrap our minds around that because it's a fruit issue. It's something we can see, so it really moves us to identify with it. But it's the root issues that are harder for us to lay hold of because they're happening beneath the soil. You can't see what's actually happening as the roots are going down and getting deeper and getting stronger, and yet fruit in our lives comes from root issues. So the real issue in our life is about root issues, not just fruit issues. That's why it's more important for us to understand who we be than who we do, than how we do right? It's more important for us to understand who we actually are than it actually is for us to be doing all the right things. Now, are the right things important? Absolutely. They are. Man, when you don't do the right things, what ends up happening is you bring in a lot of things into your life, but it's not God punishing you for bringing those things into your life. They're just the natural consequences of violating the word of God. The easiest illustration, and I use it from time to time, is with our kids when there's a burner on and it's bright red and it's so pretty and they want to touch it. And we tell them, don't touch the burner, don't touch the burner, don't touch the burner. But again, we turn our back for a moment. The kid walks over and goes, it's so pretty, I just want to touch it. Shh. It wasn't your meanness that punished them. Does that make sense? So when we understand what sin is, sin is us touching the burner, even though God's saying, don't do that. Don't do it. It's not best for your life. You do it, I'm still going to love you. Because we still love our kids even when they touch the burner, right? Right? And we don't burn them to prove to them how it is, right? So God loves us with an everlasting love. So we've got to really understand and grow in the revelation of God's perfect love. Because all of us are conditioned by conditional love in our lives. As well as we can love one another and as as hard as we try, it's still conditional. But God's love is unconditional. So it's important that we learn to wrap our mind around that. So here in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, if you have your Bibles, it's going to help us understand the definition of love. All right? And so it starts off, in this is love. Okay, it's about ready to define what love is. And, And just so you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is not trying to define love. That love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. But it's really designed to help us recognize the fruit of love. So when I'm patient, I recognize the right fruit is showing up in my life. When I'm impatient, I recognize the wrong fruit is showing up in my life. So it's helping us understand the fruit happening in our lives. That's why it's so important for you to read the Word of God. That's why it's so important for you to study the Word of God. To meditate on the Word of God. To think about the Word of God. So you begin to understand how important it is because it's not just about understanding all the rules and the regulations. Because some of you are those type of people that you're rule followers, so you want to know, all right, what's the, what's the rule? Tell me what the rule is. But that's not what it's about. It's not about if we do all the right things, then we earn and deserve God's favor. It's not about those things. It's about understanding as children of God how to walk in the fullness of life he has for us. Because when we think it's about the rules, we're living by the law. Is this making sense today? So we want to read the word of God so we understand who we are. Who we are. And when who we are is not lining up with our behavior. So the moment I am unloving, the moment I am unkind, I recognize my behavior is not lining up with who I am. 
Because all of the fruit of the Spirit in every one of us is inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that is inside of you because it's because since you're a child of God, it's who you are. So when, when, when I'm not lining up with who I am, I can make an adjustment and say, that's not who I am. And I can make an adjustment in my life. That's living under grace. And by the way, you need to give yourself grace when you're not doing everything right. Because you are not going to do everything right. And I tell you, when you learn to give yourself grace, you learn to give other people grace. Living under grace. In fact, John 1, 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came. One was given. This is what you got to do under the old covenant. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So here's real love, and I want you to really pay attention to this today because, man, I'm telling you, this will change your life. 1 John 4.10 says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. How much did he love us? That he sent his son to be the propitiation. That means the payment. He came to be an appeasement for our sins. So notice that it's not our love for God. It's not about us loving God. It's about his love for us. And yet for a long time in our lives, many of us grew up with church being, you got to love God. You got to love God. Right? Just so you know, I can preach. Okay? They would get real passionate about you got to love God. And they would add things like you got to love God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your spirit, with all your strength. Right? But this verse says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And for 1,500 years, the children of Israel were under the law. And the sum total of the law, Jesus said in Mark 12, was, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Let me ask you today, has anyone here today ever done that? I'm not talking about in a moment because, you know, there are times in our life when we just kind of get our act totally together and we're able to love God with all of our might, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our mind. We're able, we're able to do that in a moment, but we can't do it consistently. No one has ever been able to do that. And even the best of Israel, David, failed in that. He's a guy who committed murder and adultery. Every one of us failed, and God knew that no one would be able to do that. That's why the law was given, that even the greatest commandment was given to expose our lack, our inability to do it, our need for God, because no one could love God like that until the perfect man, Jesus, came. So after 1,500 years, God said, are you ready to say uncle? Right? Or have you had enough of trying to be right with God through self-effort? In fact, let me ask you today. Are you, have you had enough with trying to be right with God through self-effort? Are you willing to concede that you're just not able to fulfill even the greatest commandment? So God says to this, this to us, watch me. I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength. And then he gave his life for us. So it's not about our love for God. It's about his love for us. Next week, we're going to be celebrating Easter. Man, I hope you're planning on being here. And I hope you're planning on bringing an entire row of people with you. 
Because this is a time of the year when we get the opportunity just to take a step back from the busyness of life and take a moment just to reflect on what Jesus did for us. In fact, several years ago, I watched The Passion of the Christ, that movie that Mel Gibson produced. Phenomenal movie. In fact, I was talking to my kids about us possibly doing that again so that we can be reminded once again about what Jesus did. Because sometimes we just kind of get busy with church and we get busy with life and it's, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for that death on the cross thing. And we forget what an amazing thing that it was and the suffering that Jesus went through that you and I could have both an abundant life and eternal life. And and in Isaiah 53, we can read about the sufferings of Christ. And and in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says this, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And so this morning, I want to take just a moment to kind of unpack and look at these two questions that are interesting questions that are incredibly important for us to understand. And the first one is, who has believed our report? Have you ever reflected on your life and you've asked yourself, what's the report that I'm actually believing? In in the moments that you walk through difficult things and challenges in your life, have you taken just a moment to say, whose report am I believing? When, When you hear that God loves you, whether it's through reading the word of God or you hear it from me on Sunday, and then you go out and you face some difficulties in life and some challenges in life. In those moments, you have to make a decision, whose report are you going to believe? You're going to have to ask yourself, what report am I going to believe? You have to decide that you're going to either believe the Lord or you don't believe the Lord. Oh, I always believe. Listen, anytime we're filled with doubt, fear, and unbelief, it's simply a fruit of understanding we don't believe the report of the Lord. So what happens is we vacillate in, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Now, some of you knew what that was like when you were a kid. You dated a girl and you wrote her a note, do you like me, yes or no? You hadn't heard back from her, so you pulled up a flower. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And it ever ended on, she loves me not. You thought, okay, let's start again. Let's try that again. She loves me, she loves me not. And so what ends up happening in our life is when things are going good, we're like, God, thank you for loving me. God, oh, I'm just so thankful for your love. And then a challenge comes into our life. God, what's going on? We think reckless now is careless. God's forgotten all about us. God, where have you gone? So you're going to have to decide that God really loves you. You're going to have to decide that he loves you perfectly and completely, which, by the way, you're in charge of what you believe. No devil in hell is in charge of what you believe. No other person in your life is in charge of what you believe. You get to choose what you believe, and you're going to have to decide if God really loves you or not, or you're going to allow yourself to vacillate between he loves me, he loves me not. See, the majority of the children of Israel missed out on the promised land because they believed the report of the ten spies instead of the report of the Lord. 40 years wandering in the wilderness simply from believing the wrong report. So when I start pondering this question, whose report will you believe? What I'm making a decision in my life is I am going to believe the report of the Lord. I don't care what my feelings may say in the moment because, again, my feelings are just a reflection that I've got focused on the wrong thing. And I'm going to go focus back on the goodness of God and I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. pray you're going to declare that over your life also. Second question says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is God reaching down to mankind. It's Jesus. 
And it's interesting because later in Isaiah 53, it says this about Jesus, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Look at that. It it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the word bruise there means to crush, that it leads It pleased the Lord to crush his son. And we we look at that and we say, what? It pleased him? So you see in Isaiah 53, 1, the arm of the Lord, and we see later that it pleased the Lord to crush him. And that's hard for us to understand because we can understand that God would send his son to redeem mankind, but it's hard for us to understand that it pleased the Lord to crush him. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. But moms and dads, have you ever been shopping or you've ever been to an amusement park and, and you went there all day and hang, hung out all day and were busy doing all of the rides and you know about two, three hours into it, everyone starts getting a little tired. In fact, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Disney World. No offense to I'm going to Disneyland, all that stuff. That's an awesome place for some of you. But when you go there, I notice the kids are a lot of times crying. The parents are frazzled, they're wore out, they just spent $20 on a Coke, $40 on a hot dog, and they're stressed out about all the money they spent, and their kids are whining and crying, so just not for me, but you do it, and then at the end of the day, you pack up all the kids, wore out, tired, ready to head out, and if you have small kids, and maybe you still have small kids, you kind of pick them up and decide, okay, I'm going to carry them back out to the car, you kind of forgot how far the car actually was. As you begin to carry them out, you're thinking, oh my goodness, and your arm kind of begins to get a little tired. But because they're now sleeping, right, they've been crying all day, and now they're sleeping, so they're cute again, right? And so you're looking at them, and you're just sitting there loving on them. Oh, this is so awesome. Even though your arm's a little tired, you're thinking, ah, oh, I got this, because you still think you're only about a couple spaces away from your parked car, until you realize it's further than you thought, and you keep going and going, and now your arm's beginning to get a little numb. But because you love them, man, you just keep carrying them. You don't want to wake them up. You don't want them crying again. You really love them. You really care about them. And pretty soon, your arm begins to tingle. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Suddenly, it feels like there's needles poking in your arm as you're walking down. And yet, you don't. You're even willing for your arm to be crushed so that you can love on your kid. And then we begin to understand why it pleased the Lord to crush his son was because of his love for you and I. Poof. Seriously, it's the most amazing thing in the world to begin to peek into and understand how perfectly God loves us. It begins to make sense. See, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time that we saw it. Jesus had never addressed his father before as my God until he was hanging on the cross. Do you know why he did it? Because he was taking our place. You see, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I can cry out, my father, my father, why have you so blessed me? There was a great exchange that took place because of what Jesus Christ has done. Listen, in, in these last days, you and I are going to face all kinds of challenges. You know, we're always surprised by it, though, aren't we? We're always kind of surprised when a challenge comes. But Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. So, Christians, buckle up. You're just going to have some trouble from time to time. But I'm thankful today that God didn't leave us there because in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So we've got to understand today that we're more than conquerors today. We're not ever fighting for victory. 
You're fighting from a position of victory. There's an enemy. The Bible says he's a thief. He's come to steal. He's come to kill. And he's come to destroy. And he's coming in to try to take something from you that God has already given to you. So you got to learn how to stand fast. Say, God, I thank you that you're for me. So in these last days, we're going to face some giants. We're going we're gonna to face some challenges. We're going to face some difficulties. And you know what it takes to knock down a giant or a Goliath? It takes a David. In fact, the, the meaning of the name David means beloved. In, in fact, it takes someone who knows that they are loved by God to knock down the giants, to knock down the mountains in our life. You know what the name Goliath means? It means exile, stripped, or exposed. That's why David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Okay, some of you get that a little bit later. So to knock down the giants in our life, we have to understand that we are God's beloved. It's the love of God that allows you and I to walk in confidence. In fact, 1 John 4, just a few verses later in verse 17 says this. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Listen, love empowers you and I to be bold even in the day of judgment. I know some of you are like me. You were raised that when you get to heaven, all of your sins are going to be played on the big screen. Everything that you've ever done wrong is going to be portrayed for everyone to see, and they're going to see it. Why would a loving Heavenly Father who says that I'm going to take your sin and cast it as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more, drag it up on the day of judgment just to embarrass you? So love has been perfected. It means it becomes complete in us. So anytime I'm fearful of judgment, it means his love isn't complete yet. I need to go back to meditating on his love, thinking about his love, speaking about his love, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, look at this today, as he is, so are we in this world, as Jesus is. Now, I want to ask you today, how many of you here today still believe the word of God? Do you see the scripture we're looking at today? Love has been perfected. It's been made complete among us. That we can have boldness in the day of judgment because as Jesus is, not, not, not as he was or as he's going to be, as he is right now, sitting at the throne of God, so are we in this world. So instead of asking, am I accepted by the Father? Ask, is Christ accepted to the Father? Because as he is, so are we in this world. See, the devil loves to come to you and try to get you very introspective and get you occupied with yourself, with your failures, with your mistakes. Listen, you're going to make failures and mistakes. You're going to just blow it. Okay? It's okay. Get back up and recognize that's not who you are. That's just what you did. And as Jesus is, so are we in this world. But the devil wants you to come get you looking at you instead of looking at the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because as long as you think, I am just a dirty, rotten sinner, dirty, rotten sinner, dirty, rotten sinner, you'll keep producing the evidence of a dirty, rotten sinner, dirty, rotten sinner, dirty, rotten sinner, even though that's not who you are. But when you begin to understand that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, suddenly you'll begin to say, I'm righteous, even though I just blew it. Yeah. I'm righteous because it's never been based on me. It will never be based on me. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So as he is, so am I in this world. 
But what the devil wants you to do is look at you. Look at what you've done wrong or what you could have done a little bit more. So he'll remind you every morning, do you remember what you said to her? Do you remember what you did to him? Do you remember what you thought last week? Do you remember what you did? And go on and on. Or if you do do something right, do-do, if you do something right, do-do is a whole other thing. If you do something right, he'll act like you could have done a little better. Sure, you prayed five minutes today, but do you know Pastor Richie plays 10? Yeah, sure, you read a, a chapter in the Bible, but man, you should have read two chapters. Sure, you were finally nice to somebody, but you should have let them in front of you when you were driving. It goes on and on, accusations from the devil, that no matter what you do, he's accusing you. And for years, you know what we thought it was? We thought it was the Holy Spirit. We thought it was the Holy Spirit convicting us, but in reality, it was the devil accusing us. It's amazing, because in the book of John, it talks about what the Holy Spirit has come to do. He's come to convict the world of sin and those that are believers of their righteousness. So do you know what it means the Holy Spirit is doing? He's not convicting you of your sin if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. He's convicting you of your righteousness. So when I do wrong, he says, Richie, that's not who you are. That's what we did with our kids growing up, man. In fact, Christian, he had a little bit of a bent towards orneriness. And we kept saying, Christian, you're so ornery. Christian, you're so ornery. It was self it became self-fulfilling prophecy. We kept saying that. And we finally said, we got to stop that. Christian, you're a mighty man of God. And when he would do wrong things, we'd say, Christian, that's not who you are. Yeah. It changed everything. We've got to understand that that's what the Holy Spirit is doing to us all the time. He's saying, that's not who you are. You're better than this. And listen, don't beat yourself up. Just go, oh, that's true. That's not who I am. I want to stop that wrong behavior. Well, Pastor Rich, I keep doing it. You just keep saying it, eventually you'll stop doing it. You keep confessing your righteousness, eventually you'll stop doing it. The devil wants you focused on you. God wants you focused on Jesus. Because as Jesus is at the Father's right hand, so are you in this world. If Jesus is accepted by the Father, so are you. If Jesus is loved and approved by the Father, so are you. If Jesus is under the favor of God, so are you. If Jesus is healthy and whole, so are you. Because as he is, so are we in this world. And do you know that when you realize that God is no longer looking at you to judge you, that God is looking at the perfect man at his right hand, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, the weight of judgment falls off of you. You stop feeling condemned every time you come to church. There's some of you, you have a hard time worshiping God because you did the wrong thing last night. But you've got to understand, the weight of judgment begins to fall off of you. And not only do you stop condemning yourself and judging yourself, you stop condemning and judging others. What the devil, when the devil comes to you and tries to point out your weakness, you need to point him to Jesus. You need to point yourself to Jesus. See, look at Jesus and see if you can find any fault in him. And all you'll see about Jesus is that he's excellent, that he's perfect. And then remind yourself, as he is, so are you in this world. In the Old Testament, when people would sin, they would bring a spotless lamb to the priest to the, for a sin sacrifice. Now, the priest represented God, and the priest would focus on the lamb. I want you to catch that because sometimes we, we think the priest is looking at the man. The man could be sitting there smoking a cigar, drinking a beer, and I'm telling you, the priest is not looking at the man. The priest is looking at the lamb. Yeah. 
Are y'all with me? The priest would focus on the lamb. He wasn't focused on the person. Even though he had sinned, he was focused on the lamb. See, it would be a waste of time to focus on the person. They had sinned. That's why they were there. Is this making sense today? So the priest would focus on the lamb. The question for us today as followers of Jesus Christ is how good is our lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? How good is your lamb? Yeah, just uh, maybe. He's a spotless lamb. So the eyes of God don't look at me. It'd be a waste of time. He knows why I'm there. I blew it once again. All right? That's why I need a lamb. And do you know what the priest does? He examines the lamb until he discovers that the lamb is perfect. He doesn't examine the person. And yet for years we've been taught to examine your heart. Listen, we need to examine the lamb, not our heart. Do I need to make an adjustment in my heart from time to time? Absolutely. But you know what I look at in my heart or my behavior? I see it out here in my peripheral vision. My focus is still on the lamb, the spotless lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then when they they had brought the lamb, they would lay their hands on the lamb to identify with the lamb. Now catch this, because there's two things that would happen during this time. The first was their sins were transferred into the innocent lamb. Secondly, the innocence or the righteousness of the lamb was transferred into them. There was a great exchange again. So our sins went into the perfect lamb and his righteousness came into you and I. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's this transference that takes place. Our sin went to Jesus, was nailed on the cross 2,000 years ago, and his righteousness made it, came available and came into our lives. So whenever you talk about Jesus or whenever you talk about the cross, it is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to the Father because it's reminding him about his son's obedience and the love his son had for him. It's amazing. That's what it means, that sweet-smelling sacrifice. God's going, wow, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for my children. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. So let, let me close today with this. You will never know, catch this, you will never know how much God loves you until you begin to understand how much God loves his son. You'll never understand it. Listen, he gave up his son for you and I. So after the sacrifice, watch this, I walk away completely righteous because the lamb removed sin and now righteousness is imparted into our lives. I know that there are many of you that were raised and what I'm saying is so tweaking with your theology. But listen, if the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is actually good news, you have to understand that it's not going to ever be based upon how well you do. Because then one day it's good news, the next day it's bad news. But when it's based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, it is continually good news. That what Jesus Christ did for us, we were not able to do in and of ourselves. It's never been about our self-effort. We gain so much because of the cross. But what the devil is constantly trying to do in our lives is to get us to think about what we lost. And, and we do lose some things, honestly, when we become followers of Jesus Christ. We, we lose fear. We lose depression. We lose anxiety. 
we, we lose throwing up to a porcelain idol in the morning. We, we, we start losing all of the negative consequences of sin simply because of what Jesus Christ has done. We gain so much as followers of Jesus Christ. I, I tell you, I, when you will know that you know the good news is good news is you will be talking to everyone you come in contact with about the good news of Jesus Christ. But as long as you think it's a have to or things that you lose or anything like that, we are, uh, we are afraid to open up our hearts and lives and talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. It really is good news. Listen, God is not trying to get you to focus on you. He's not trying to get you to say, hey, look at your thoughts, look at your emotions, look at your feelings, look at what you just said. God doesn't want you to focus on you. He only wants you to focus on one person, focus on Jesus. He is the perfect sacrifice, and Jesus is altogether lovely. You've got to understand today that's how God sees you, even when you have some unlovely behavior. He sees you as altogether lovely, because as he is, so are we in this world. When David went into the valley of Elah to meet Goliath, All the hopes and aspirations of Israel were wrapped up in a 17-year-old boy. He was representing them. His defeat would have been their defeat. But with one stone, he brought the giant tumbling down. His victory became their victory. And listen to this. Now a greater son of David has come. And his victory is our victory. We are more than conquerors today through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the devil loves to come to us again saying, look at our thoughts, look at your thoughts, look at your thoughts. You need to tell him to hush. If y'all say shut up in your family, then say shut up to him and just say shut up. Listen, it's not about me, it's about what Jesus Christ has done. You gotta tell him, you gotta tell him to quit messing with you. Quit, quit letting him have renting space in your mind by him bringing accusations in your mind that you keep entertaining. You gotta get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on Jesus. So Isaiah 53.1 says, Who has believed our report? What report are you going to believe? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Every day, probably multiple times a day, you're going to have to simply make a choice to say, I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. You might need to get some people around you that are going to help you to believe the report of the Lord. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed since Jesus? The arm of the Lord has been revealed to us through His Son, Jesus And I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel so overwhelmed with the goodness of God. This this week especially, man, as we kind of enter into this Easter season, man, all week long, just as I've been preparing this message, I've I've been just sitting down and just going, wow, God, you're so amazing. Because again, it's so easy for us to get so distracted like this. One moment we have our eyes on Jesus and his finished work. One, eyes, one moment we have our, our eyes on his promise and the next moment we've got our eyes on the problem. And suddenly this fear begins to come into our life and we don't recognize that there's no shadow that you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down coming after me. 